Well, good morning again. Uh, guys, thank you. That's, that's awesome. Uh, you know, if y'all would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, and just read the book of Matthew. It's kind of where we're going to be kind of camping out today, kind of, uh, kind of studying today. And uh, like I said before, we just came back from Verge. It was an awesome conference, and it was really amazing there. And God just kind of did some amazing things to me. He kind of spoke to me there and kind of gave me some uh, some awesome insight. Uh, one of the one of the highlights, if I can just share a highlight with you guys from Verge, because there were so many, uh, was the last the last speaking section, uh, the last uh, the last couple that, that when we were up there that we were worshiping and all. We had a um, there was a group of guys, uh, three guys, young guys, uh, 20, uh, 24 to like twenty six. I say young because that's my age, and um, and uh, young singles, uh, college students. And uh, the guy said down there to me, I'm like, hi, my name is Felix, his name is hi, my name is Father Ruben. And I was like, where are you from, what do you do? He said, I'm from San Antonio. I'm like, oh, great, San Antonio, I know where that's at. And so we started talking, I'm like, so what are you doing? Are you with the church? He goes, no, I'm not really with the church at all. He said, um, I want to go into the mission field. I'm like, awesome, mission field. You know, like, where do you want to go? You want to go to China? You want to go to India? Where do you want to go to Singapore? I mean, what do you want to do? And he was like, I want to go on the mission field in San Antonio. I'm like, okay, so you're like local missions. That's why you're here, right? Because this is all about local mission work and local, how to live in a uh, missional community, and this is why you're here. And he said, yeah, so what are you feeling called to? And he said, man, he goes, I know God's called me, I know God's called me. I'm either going to go to the Muslim community or to the gay community. And I said, brother, man, God bless you, man. Like, that's huge. It's huge. And he said, man, this whole group of guys right here, um, they... They want to back me up. They want to be, uh, learn how to, to minister, how to witness, how to live among Muslims, how to live among the gay community, and how to witness and share Christ to them through missional community. I'm like, wow, that's really awesome because that's what we do down in Corpus Christi. We do uh, we, we minister to everyone, though. We don't, you know, set up, you know, we have a, a set target where everyone is. But we actually minister through missional community and living life together, and just that's what we do. And we believe that. To be a disciple of Jesus, to teach and to disciple people, we have to show them. It's not enough just to give them the best-selling book. It's in, they need to show them how to be a disciple. And they were like, oh, that's so awesome. And so um, after the last worship song, they were getting me to walk through. I'm like, hey, guys, can I pray for y'all? And I think we just prayed for like 10 minutes around you know, in a circle, holding hands, and just you know, me and Sarah just praying over them and just praying a blessing and praying just for God to encourage them and equip them and, and to really come alongside them and really love them up, guys. So if y'all would be, uh, if you're right, we be praying for these guys. Just know that there's three guys in San Antonio who are taking the plunge into ministry uh, the hard way and going after well, some of the unloved people that the church really doesn't even love. And I, and I would all say, oh, the church loves everybody. No, because how many gay people do you have in your church? How many, uh, you know, Muslims do you have in your church? many people like that you really have in church? Like really, really, I mean, really the most, how many people are you going to invite like that to your church? So that's uh, kind of where we're at. I'm like, but we got tons of people like that in our church. Like, like we, get, we see people like that every day. Like, seriously, that's like, I mean, we got, you know, I'm not really going into detail. Just everything that you think that we don't have, we do have. And so that's what we do. But Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. We're going like, to kind of get into this. But before, um, before we get on to uh, the sermon today, 
I feel like I have to start off by saying this, and I have to start off by saying this really to y'all, because uh, we've been going through this series called Disciple, and if you guys remember, the, we, we talked about what a disciple is, and we, we said that the word Christian isn't even relevant anymore, because the word Christian means so many things. Four out of five Americans call themselves Christians. About half of those people actually go to church, and the majority of those people believe that it is okay to believe in, in, in Buddha, Muhammad, they believe that it's okay that there are many paths to heaven. They also believe it's okay that as long as they're in a monogamous relationship with one person, whether that is a guy to guy, girl to girl, or whatever, that, that is okay. And they believe that they're Christian. They call themselves Christians, but they really follow Christ. And that was kind of the first sermon series that we started off. We started talking about what are the traits of a disciple. Uh, a disciple means that there are no Christians allowed. The guy would just wreck the idea of a disciple being a Christian and really talk about a disciple being a follower of Christ, someone who really follows Christ. And that was awesome. That was a pretty good sermon. And then we went into the next one was a, a disciple uh, goes out and the disciple washes feet. There's another one that we did. That's what we're doing today. Uh, and then we did one called Disciple uh, Breaks Bread. That's what we're doing today. Uh, this is a Disciple Breaks Bread. But I want to start off by saying this. is I want to apologize and it's really hard for a pastor to apologize. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, uh, especially in the Baptist realm, you know. But I want to say I apologize because I, I really believe I've been kind of leading you guys astray in a certain way. Um, I, I don't think I was giving you, like, a lie. I think I was giving you guys half-truth, right? And so I think I was giving you guys step two and step three, but I didn't really make sure you guys had step one down. Are y'all tracking with me on that? Like, like uh, we're talking about a disciple does this, and a disciple does that, and a disciple does all of this, but I neglected to really push forth the, the what it really meant to be a disciple. And we talked about it in week one, but it was like so lightly brushed, that I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call it talking about it. So what I want to do, I just kind of want to revisit the same verse that we did in verse one. I really want to dive deeper into it, uh, just, just for a little bit, just kind of get started, it's like a pre-sermon, this is the, the pre-sermon to the sermon, okay, for today, so um, if you would please, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse um, verse 18, okay, so what I want us to know, what I want us to kind of realize, is what does it mean to really follow Jesus, let's look at Matthew 4, verse 18, it says this, it says, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Duh, right? Like, thank you, Matthew, for pointing out the obvious. They were casting a net into the sea. They weren't, they were obviously fishermen. So, yeah, thank you for pointing that out to me, Matthew. They were fishermen. I, I kind of assumed that, okay? Okay, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Now, I want to look at the weight of the words, follow me. Because we think like, oh, Jesus says, just, just follow me. Okay, uh, it, it's simple to follow Jesus. You know, if, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I just say a prayer, and, I, and, and, and I'm okay, and I do like an altar call, or I walk down the aisle. If you've ever walked down the aisle, if you've ever said a prayer of salvation, it, uh, which is not even biblical, and if you've ever done anything like that, I want you guys to just kind of take into account the weight of what that meant at that time. Did you really understand that question? Because I, I don't believe a lot of those pastors, and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, don't do a very good job of explaining the weight of that. And I want to look at that today. What I want to do is look right before uh, Matthew chapter 4. Just in the first four chapters, there were 20 
uh, definitions of Jesus that are uh, described in the first four chapters of, of the book of Matthew. 20 things. The first thing that we seem to find as a Savior, that He is the Savior of the world, that He has come to rescue the world. The second thing that we see Him uh, define as is Christ Messiah. Okay, Jesus Christ, Christ is not His last name. Okay, Christ means that He is the Messiah, the, the, the chosen one, the one that's going to come and rescue us. Uh, we see that through the lineage, you know, the first book of Matthew is like, so and so was so and so and so and so and so we got so and so and so and so. Right? They're like, oh, this is boring. I'm just gonna skip over it. No, this is really important. He says that he is son of David. That is, that is, that is a prophetic right there. He said he is son of Abraham. I carry a lot of weight because God told Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations, and you would be, uh, you would be Abraham. Uh, okay. The, the other thing that you see about about Jesus is that he is the center of history. Guys, listen. Um, your car, your, your 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 school, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, uh, your parents, okay, you are going to fade away one day. Uh, I hate to say it, one day you're going to die. I'm, uh, this is so gruesome. No, no, you're going to die, you're going to go away, and one day you're not going to be here anymore, okay? Your cars, your TVs are going to rust away, they're going to fade away, but there's one thing. That, that stays the same, okay? And if you want to look into the past, I'm going to go further. Nations have come and gone, okay? Uh, patriarchs, kings, queens, um, emperors, and great, um, the, just great um, states. And, and I mean, look at like capitals and stuff. They've come and they've gone. They're gone. And um, there's one thing that remains throughout time, and that's Jesus. He is the center of history. That's why they call it his story. His story. The story of Christ. History. He is at the center of all time. Um, we see that he is fully human, so that is very important to us because if he was not fully human, we wouldn't respect him as someone that we can relate to. Because if God just came down and did all those awesome things, we wouldn't be like, well, he, well yeah, he's God. And so, but no, he's fully human. Don't lose sight that Jesus was tempted with every single sin that you've ever been tempted with. That might sound dirty. That might sound a little um, a little obscene and not politically correct, but Jesus was tempted with every sin. He wasn't just tempted three times in the desert by Satan. He was tempted with everything. And it says that, that he overcame every sin. And the word every in the old language means Every, <laughs> you know, everything, okay? So he was fully divine and fully God. That's why he was able to overcome those sins. That's why he was perfect. He was sovereign over the wise. It says that he was, he knew everything. So when he was a little boy, he was, he was, he was wise. He was, he was teaching the Pharisees and the, and the old uh, rabbis. So he was shepherd of the weak. Uh, Micah 5 goes into that a little bit, about, uh, a little bit to kind of, uh, uh, Prophesied of that, he was shepherd of the weak. That's great news for us because we are the weak. I mean, if you think you're strong, you think you're doing your own, you're, you're an idiot. It doesn't work that way. You need a shepherd, someone to guide you, and he is the shepherd of the weak. Uh, he is the savior king. We talked about that already. He is the, uh, the righteous judge. That is great news for us because if he was not a righteous judge, we'd probably be going straight to hell. Okay, he's righteous. He, 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 uh, he saves us. Because he is right, because he is just, because he loves us. He is a righteous judge, okay? And he corrects us when we do wrong, and he steers us in, in, in right directions. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me into pastures to waters. He leads me. He shepherds me. He doesn't just say, you know do whatever the heck you want, and I'll be here whenever, and I'll take the mess. He goes, no, I'm going to lead you to do the right 
thing, okay? Um, he was filled with the God, with God the Spirit. Okay, he was filled by God the Father. Jesus had a great relationship with his Father. He had a connection with his Father. We can mimic that in our life when we have a connection with God through the Bible, if you worship it through community, if you fellowship. He had a connection to the Father. Um, he was the new Adam, because obviously the old Adam did not do things right. He kind of screwed up. He talked to his wife, Evil, I mean Eve, and uh, that was a joke. Okay, no one really taught that. Okay. <laughs> the one guy, yes, funny. And so, um, I talked to Eve, and she, and she said, try this apple. He was too, too busy looking around, like everything else. Oh, okay, whatever. He eats it, and then he sins. And so he screwed up, and so that's why they have, we have to have a new Adam. And Jesus is the new Adam that is defined in chapter 3. Um, he is the true Israel. That is another uh, definition of Jesus in within that chapter. Okay, uh, He goes on to say that he is the light of the world. That is a major, major, major um reality for us that Jesus is the light in this dark world, and he is the only light in this dark world, and finally, he is a hope for all nations, not just our nation, not just Corpus Christi, we gotta have this in our mind, that he is a, a hope for all nations, and so he goes out everywhere, that everyone is welcome to Jesus, and everyone has the opportunity for Jesus, so I don't think that the guy on the beach out in like Tahiti or something, it, it, I think that there is hope for that guy, because I think that God is going to rescue his people when he... He goes after his people. He's going to go and we'll do whatever it takes. That's why we, we have such a, uh, a importance on missions and people going out missionaries. This is all that Jesus is. Now, surely, Christians, tell me this. Is our Jesus worthy of something more than just Sunday morning? I mean, Jesus is worthy more than, more than just Sunday morning. Amen? This is when y'all say amen. Okay? You know, I know this is a Baptist-type church, but we can say amen. We can be a little loud. It's all right. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. You're all going to go home and we'll eat some, uh, um, some casseroles or something and we'll be fine. Um, but Jesus is worthy than more than just Sunday morning worship. I want to even go as far as to say that Jesus is worthy than more than anything else we can give him. Jesus is more. See, we're not called... We, don't, we can't come into contact with the Savior of the world and not be changed. Because he's worth more than what we have to offer him. We cannot stay content in our mundane, same old, lame life that we had before we met Jesus. If you've met Jesus and if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, are you the same as you were before you met Jesus? What is their difference in there? And I, I fairly argue if we do not have a difference in our hearts and really people can look at us and say, there's a difference in you. And I beg to argue the fact that you really know him. Are you really a follower of Christ? You see why this is so important? See why uh, I, I kind of feel bad because I neglected to really set this in stone at first? And so uh, last night we were coming home uh, from Burge. And, uh, okay, so like Burge is supposed to stop at 8 and so, like at eight fifteen, we're like, okay, it's running a little bit late. And the last song played, and the worship leader goes, "You guys really want to go home?" And we're like, "I'm like, I do. Like, my car is going to get towed if I don't leave at eight. I have to preach this morning." And like, and so like two thousand other pastors and ministry leaders, they're like, "No!" I'm like, oh, "Okay, I'm not going to right." And so, um, I mean, I really love enjoying myself. Don't get me wrong, but I really wanted to go home because I was tired. And so. Um, He's like, well, we're just going to worship God until we get tired, until God tells us to stop. I'm like, 
Okay, and so like for the next hour, we just like played like worship song after worship song. We cried. I mean, we all were just like, it was emotional. I mean, we felt God's presence there, and it was amazing. And so as a result of that, we ended up leaving Austin at like 10.30 last night. Like, it was insanity. We took the kids to Pflugerville, then drive them all the way back home. It was insanely uh, a really long night. And so as we're driving home, I'm real tired. I'm just like... Just falling asleep, and at the wheel, and Sarah's like trying to keep me up. She's talking to me, she's punching me, she's like smacking me, you know. She's like, Wake up, you idiot. I'm like swerving, like, you know. And, and so, you know, we were getting all tired and stuff. Now, now, what if I was to tell you that I pulled over the side of the road to stretch and wake up, kind of walk around, do some jumping jacks or something, you know, and just kind of wake up? And I, and I, I get out of the car. And I'm tired, I'm so delirious, I'm so sleepy that I just started kind of wandering off. And just kind of like doing this, and all of a sudden, a big truck comes and like smacks me in the face. Like, what would y'all say to that? And I'm here today. What would you say if I told you that happened to me last night? You'd be like, you're a freaking liar. Like, seriously, like, straight up liar, right? And then, yeah, I might be a liar. I might be saying that I got hit by a truck, but uh, I do know this. If I, if I got hit by a truck, would I look this good? No. If I got hit by a truck, would I look the same? No. Last I checked, the, like the last 10 out of 10 people who got hit by an 18-wheeler on the, on the interstate highway looked nothing the same. You know, there's a part of them over there, there's a part of them over there. You know, their face looks like the, the flatness of a pancake, you know. Um, they did not look the same, okay. And I can, I can kind of simulate and kind of parallel the uh, relationship we have with Christ with us coming into contact with a semi-truck. Because Christ is that powerful. And we're that weak. And when we come into contact with Christ, we don't just get bumped off. But we change. But we change. Look, everyone faces this, this question as to what you're going to do with Jesus. Everyone does it. Matt Chandler says this in his book, uh, Explicit Gospel. Just because we are stained with sin from conception. That means when you were a baby, when you were born, you were stained with sin. Because why? Because Adam and Eve, I mean, Adam and Eve were, um, um, were, were, were sin and that stained us, okay? Because we were stained with sin from conception. We were rushing headlong into the fires of hell before we can even walk. Your kids, your, our kids, our children, they're sinners. They need Jesus. That's why it's so important. That's why children's ministry is not just a daycare. Children's ministry is an outreach because we're building foundations within our children so that they can be uh, saved, so they can have a relationship with Jesus, so they can be disciples of Jesus, so they can grow up and be great leaders in the community, so they can lead their wives, lead their husbands, and, and, and support their husbands and be great families. That's why children's ministry is so important. That's not just a daycare, guys. That is a ministry. That is so important. If you guys do any type of servant and children ministry, don't think you're just changing diapers. Guys, you're planting the seeds and you're building foundations. You're discipling. So just, I would say, he goes on to say, that's like, that was a side note, okay? Okay, so he goes on to say this. He says, Jesus lays his body across the path. Well, what, what's the path? The path of what's going to hell. He lays his body across the path. There is no ignoring him. You're walking down the trail and some dude lying in the middle of the trail. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? You either going to have to step over him or show him. It says this. It says, if it's headlong into hell that we want to go, we will have to cross over Jesus' body to get there. You are going to be faced with this reality that Jesus is real. 
whether we like it or not, and the result as to what we do with him will determine our faith forever. So what does this mean? It means that being a disciple must be a life-changing experience that starts with the first initial faith, step of, step of faith into Christ. And anything else after that cannot be done without Christ. Here's a really scary verse. Um, a really scary verse that says um, there's a bunch of um, prophet, uh, Pharisees and, and leaders of the law and just these great Christians and they came up to Jesus and they say, God, God, uh, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? Under the name, Lord, Lord, didn't we say that in your name? Didn't we do all these great things in your name? These guys weren't just uh, people who were like not doing it falsely. They were like they, they were like legit Christians. They were the pastors of today. They'd be like me or someone, you know, other pastors in the community saying, going up to heaven, like God, why, why, Jesus, what's up? Didn't we do all these great things in your name? And Jesus says, "Depart from me, never knew you. I never knew you." And the reason we can do that is because we can be so focused on doing. Being a disciple and doing all these great things, we got to do step one, two, three, four, or step two, three, four, and five, and we can miss the first step, and that means that all these other steps are null and void. You don't get to heaven because of your good works. You don't get to heaven because of all the great things you did. You don't get to heaven because you served in children's ministry. You don't get to heaven because you played worship. You don't get to heaven because you're a great father, because you're a great mother. You don't get to heaven because you're a good person. You get to heaven because of the grace of God. And if we miss out on the grace of God at first, then everything else we do is pointless. So I ask you, Christians, are you there? Amen. Are you really there? Like, are you really there? Like, I'm not talking about, yeah, I know, I said the prayer. I'm like, no. Are you really there? Does the fruit of your tree bear witness to the result of what Christ has done in your heart? Are you really there, Christian? I think for the majority of us, we believe it, but we're just one of the four out of five in America that says we are. But in reality, we don't do jack to show that. Now, here's the sermon. Um, and just quickly go back to that. If, if you're not there, talk to someone. Like, make that choice today. Come up, talk to me, something. Talk to your, your parents or your pastors, whatever. Talk to someone. Yell this out. Don't, don't neglect it. Look, immediate procrastination is immediate disobedience to God. Alright, so just do so. Quit sitting on it. Alright, here's a sermon for this week. Like that wasn't a sermon. No, this is that that was just the intro, okay? Uh, this week I want to start with a little story. Back in 2001, there was a house, okay? Um, I don't know exactly oh, it was in Chicago. Okay, now we know, I know say so. Okay, there was a house in Chicago back in 2001. It had been run down, it was like Weeds going up on it, uh, the, you know, everything was just kind of shot it. You know, the uh, the paint was stripping on the house, and you just kind of picture this old rundown house, probably a pure bean type house, grass overgrown, you know, lights are off, just all messed up, right? And after a while, this house went up for auction, okay, and then this young investor went out and he bought this house. Um, and inside this house, he, he went and bought the house. You know, you guys ever seen Flip Man? You know that movie Flipman on Spike TV? Okay, when they go and they buy the house, and they never look at it, they just go to the auction, they're like, oh, this is the address, this is the price, 
This is where we could get for it. Let's go ahead and buy it for like five hundred dollars or something like that. This guy bought the house in order to flip because he's a young investor. So he goes over to the house. If you guys ever seen flipping, they open the house. There's like all these weird stuff in the house. Like one time, one time they open the house, there's like all these cockroaches everywhere. One time they open the house, there's like feces everywhere. It's like who does that? Who does this? One time they open the house, there's like a homeless guy in there and like drug dealers in there, like all this crazy stuff. But this guy came over to this house in Chicago back in 2001. He bought this house that was run down and abandoned. And when he opened it up, he found something gruesome. Like worse than feces, <laughs> you know, worse than cockroaches. You know, he found something, okay? He actually found the corpse of a man in the house. This is a true story. The guy's name was Adolf Stick. Adolf Stick. That's a weird name, but that's his name. I didn't name him. His parents were probably smoking at the time. I mean, Adolf Stick. Okay. So, this man had apparently died of natural causes. And he was a corpse. I didn't say the body. Okay, the body would mean he was recently dead. I said the corpse. Okay? You think of a corpse, what do you think about? What do you think about? Killing. Okay, cool. All right, good. You guys are tracking with me. It's awesome. And so, they find the skeleton, the corpse of Adolf Stick, and in he was sitting at his chair. He was sitting at his little recliner, and he was an elderly man. Okay, and in his right hand was a newspaper. He was obviously reading before he died. The date on the newspaper was 1997. The dude dead for four years, and no one knew it. True story. How could this happen? Like no one knew. Like, family didn't know, okay? Um, like, his friends didn't know. There was no co-workers, no caseworkers, no, no at-home nurses that came to visit him. And the dude just croaked on his couch, right, reading the newspaper. And no one around him even noticed it. This actually happened to me down my street growing up. Uh, one day we, we were walking around, there was a bunch of ambulances going around, like, down by our block. And it turned out there was an old lady that had died in her house. And the way they found it was a mailman walked up to the to the to the to the to the, the front door to put the mail in the slot, and there was hundreds of flies inside the window, and he said, "That ain't right." You know what I mean? And they found this old lady dead in her house. I was here in Corpus. I was right when I was a kid. It freaked me out. I never wanted to walk by the house again. And so, um, how does that happen? How can that happen to where someone can be hurting and someone can have just this this life changing event? Obviously. And no one know about it. I want to challenge us today to say this, that discipling one another and being a disciple means that we know each other closer than family. That we know each other to the point where we know when we're hurting. That we know each other that when one of us falls, when one of us stumbles, that we know that's going on. Uh, I got a phone call, uh, actually a text yesterday. I was up in, in Austin. My friend John Garza texts me, and he said, hey, brother, I just want to let you know, man, I, I had a heart attack in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. But he knew that because we had a relationship that he had to tell me something was going on. He knew we had this relationship. So what I want to do, I want to open up the Acts 2, and I want to just kind of go through this, this, uh, couple of, uh, this text right here. And uh, I want to ask this couple of questions, and I'm going to close this out because I kind of ran on a rant, uh, went on a rant the first half of the sermon. So, um, this is Acts chapter 246. This is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Acts 246 says this. I want you guys to notice uh, the word they, 
there themselves. I want you guys to notice how many times we say this, okay? It says, and they, I'm talking about the disciples, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And the great sense of awe came over every soul. Now, the word awe is not like awe. Like, it's not like, oh, it's so sweet. Look, they're praying, they're healing people. It's so cute. No, that word in ancient Greek meant like, oh, they were astounded. Like, there was even uh, some translations that had a great sense of fear struck them. It was this great sense of like amazement and astoundment. And it says, a great sense of amazement, astounded, uh, fear, a great sense of awe oh, came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, listen to this. It says, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common. Listen to that. They had all things in common. What is that? What do y'all think about what do y'all think about that? Do y'all think all things in common? I mean, they probably shared like toothbrushes, probably shared like underwear. I mean, like what does that mean? Like uh, all things in common. And then he goes, and it was it their things? And, but later on it says this in the next verse is, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all. As they needed. So it wasn't their things. It wasn't the things that the physical things. When you look back in that, that scripture, it says they had all things in common. They had all their sadness in common. They had all their joy and their happiness, their ups and their downs. They had everything about them was in common. All their emotions, they shared that, that all that about themselves. They had all things in common. On this verse, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together. Day by day, they were coming to worship together. And the breaking of bread in their homes. So they were meeting in their homes, meeting in church, they were just meeting together. And they received their food. Not one guy's food that he fed everyone. They received their food. They did potluck style, guys. You know, their food. And to the breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. Why would the Lord add to their number? Because they had amazing invite cards. Because they had the most coolest sermon series on the block. I wouldn't say that. In fact, I would even go as far as to say that the Bible doesn't even talk about evangelism at all in this verse. The Bible talks about disciples. They were together. They were living life together in community, in biblical community. They felt each other's pains. They felt each other's joys. When someone was in trouble, they were there. And they broke bread together. They had dinner together, spontaneous dinner dates all the time. They came together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They were together as family. And, 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 and then you go off and, and do this great uh, invite push. You got, the Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily. Those are being saved. That the Lord added to their number how did he do that? I firmly believe that through their act of, of community and the way that they showed love for each other, people saw that. And they said, I want that. You ever been in puppy love or, or you want to be in puppy love and you got like your friends, they're like holding puppy love and they're kind of na nauseating because they're like all in love and they look so happy and then you're holding a guy and holding hands like, I just wish I had something like that because my life sucks right now. You know, like, you know, in high school, that's what we do. Like, I just want that. That's what these people did. They, they wanted that community. They wanted that. And the Lord added to their number because they were, he was showing him 
through the life of, that they were living through community. That's what he desires yeah, to, for us to live in community. That's what we're so big on here at Impact City Church. We're big on taking everything to the personal level all the time. You know, Impact City Church is not a church that meets on Sundays, but we're a church that lives every day. We're a church that lives in community. I know your kids, you know my kids. Jason takes care of my dog and I'm out of town. Thank you, bro. And it's something powerful. You know, it's something great, it's something big, it's something that's beyond us. You know, because here in the Pexy, we don't grow in people, we grow in people. Y'all catch that? We don't grow in numbers, we don't grow in, in, in great big people. We grow in people, and in doing so, we grow in people eventually. We're building foundations. Because making disciples of Christ is more important to Christ and simply growing in the church. We need to know that. We've set foundations that are deep into the hearts of believers. We do this by living in community. We do this by breaking the bread. A disciple will break bread. And the only way that you can do this and break bread is if you have step one down. I, I heard this you know, we went to this conference, and it was this great, big, awesome conference. You know what the, uh, you know what the whole thing was? It was disciple making. You know what the the catch line was? If I could bring one line, if I could do the the first 2013, the one thesis statement was this: is that monkey see, monkey do. Seriously, monkey see, monkey do. Right? If I want to grow a disciple, if I want to make a disciple, if I want to make a follower of Jesus, do I smack him over the head with, the, with like the, the newest track and say, hey, this is what you got to do, brother, to know Jesus, this is what you got to do, and then you got to love Jesus? Okay, do I give him the best-selling book by Francis Chan or David Platt or one of the most, you know, uh, Mark Driscoll, one of the great uh, pastors of our time? Do I give him the best book say, you need to read this book, bro, because this book will change your life. No, you know what I do? Monkey see, monkey do. You want to follow Jesus? Why don't you come to me to the store? Just come hang out with me today. I'm doing this today. Just, just hang out with me. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, read this book and do this curriculum, do this Bible study by Beth Moore because it's the most amazing thing in the world. No, he said, just follow me. Just be with me. And I'm going to show you. Christians, you didn't get elected into your family. Like, you didn't do tryouts to be your, your, your mother and your father's sons or daughters. You just are. Because you're part of that family, they teach you how to do things. Amen? And so, because we're Christians, we don't, uh, we just get taught things. We're meant to just teach things. That's why we do men's Bible study in the mornings. And um, that group is it's just a, a really deep discussion group. We confess sins and we, we share things with each other. So we do missional cities on Wednesday nights. If we don't just meet in, in our homes and seclude us as we meet outside the walls and we go be missional and outreach and just talking to people. And we don't go out and pass a bunch of tracks around and say, come to church. We show people our love by what we do. That's why we, we show they are three birds. Because all the workers already know us. Because we're there every day, pretty much talking to them, loving them, bringing them stuff, hanging out with them. That's why we're so big at the women's shelter because... That's why when I can walk up to the women's shelter and they say, come here, Pastor Billy, so you can walk around and talk to the ladies. They don't let them in the women's shelter. But they let us go there because they know that we are a family. 
Christ desires us to be a family above all. Christ desires us to be close-knit above all, and Christ desires us to be disciple-makers above the evangelists. Because disciple-making is what sets the deep foundations for our, our future. So would you consider this, this challenge for the week? What are you doing? How are you breaking bread for those around you? It's hard. It's uncomfortable. If you're an introvert, you're like, I don't even want to be around people. But there's something beautiful and orgasmic about that that happens whenever you're around someone. It's close, it's tight-knit, it's intimate. Do you share that with someone? If you don't share that with someone, I encourage you to find someone to do that with. And may we not grow weary of doing so. May we not get tired of doing it. May we realize that this is God's calling for all of our lives, that we would never grow and multiply, that we'd never learn how to love each other.